You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. We're going to continue. Um, You know, we always have some new folks, so as always, we're going to do a bit of review. But we've been in this series for a few weeks now called What Am I Thinking?, And uh, that's what we're talking about, is letting the Lord deal with our thoughts and our thought patterns, our beliefs, uh, our reasonings, all of that. And we've been, this is our foundation verse, has been Hebrews chapter 12, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 12. And I've been reading it from the Amplified Bible, because it's wordier. And uh, so it says, for the word, I'm going to try and just cut through. Uh, make the we have, I have a lot to get into this morning, so I do want to lay remind us of some foundation that we've been working from. But I'm going to try and cut through some of the um, some of what we've been talking about as review. And so I just want to encourage you and anyone who's joining us for the first time today. We have podcasts out there. You can pick up the all the foundation we've laid for the last three weeks. We have YouTube videos. We've got all kinds of ways for you to pick up the foundation that we've laid. So this has been our foundation verse for the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It's sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and of the joints and the marrow of the deepest parts of our nature. And we, we brought out these four things that the word of God coming into our hearts does. Again, what he's saying is, as, as we hear the word, as we spend time with the Lord, as we allow the Holy Spirit to bring revelation to us, it, it actually separates between the thoughts that are coming from our soul, which is not completely renewed. That's our mind, our emotions, and our will. It's the seed of our personality. It is the place where uh, a lot of our the things you love and the things that you don't love or you really dislike, I mean, all of that that's unique to you, that all resides in the soul. And then the spirit is that part of you that proceeds, proceeded amid, immediately from God. And uh, if you're born again, if you've given your life to Jesus, that's where the Holy Spirit lives. So thoughts that come from your spirit come from the Holy Spirit. And so they're going to be in agreement with what God says, who he is, that kind of thing. A lot of the thoughts that just come out of our flesh or the world or our soul, that kind of thing, those are not necessarily in line with the Word of God. I think everybody can understand that and agree with that. Not every thought we have reflects Jesus, okay? So the Word of God is one of the tools that God has given us that separates those. And it says that the Word exposes, sifts, analyzes, and judges the thoughts and purposes or motivations of the heart. And so the Word of God, together with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to try to stick to this or I'll be preaching on this for half an hour again. Uh, The Word of God, together with the Holy Spirit, exposes, sifts, analyzes, and judges the thoughts. And some translations say intentions, some say purposes, some say motivations of the heart. And that word judge, that the word judges those thoughts, we found that that means the word will mark those thoughts for approval or for rejection. And we have to remember that this is a partnership with the Lord. So as the word does that in us, that leaves us in a position of making 
an intentional act of our will to either acknowledge, approve, nurture a thought because it's confirmed by the Word and the Holy Spirit in us, or to reject a thought. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how that process works. But we have a role here. It's really important if our, our lives are going to be on the track that God has for us, that we allow the Word to challenge our thoughts. And, and here's something I was, I was thinking about this week. You know, I already said to you that um, this is a point where we have to be really honest with ourselves because we all have a tendency to justify our feelings and our, our emotions, our, our thoughts, our reasonings. We have a good reason for, for holding thoughts that are contrary to God's word. But nevertheless, that's not going to produce life in us. So we've got to be really honest with ourselves about what is our motivation here? Why do I hold on to this? Why is, how is this built into me? Why do I even have this thought process or this feeling, you know, when somebody uh, approaches me a certain way or some certain thing happens in life, all these feelings come up. Well, those are good places to let the Lord in to transform us so that we begin to to approach things, to feel about things the way God feels about them. A lot of times we can move from being maybe, and this is just an example, having a very defensive posture uh, towards certain people or certain uh, personalities or, or maybe somebody does something really overtly nasty and, and we can either have a real defensive or aggressive posture toward that or we can move to the point where our first thought is, you know, I wonder what's going on in them because hurt people hurt people, you know. And, and so you, you, compassion starts to come out for the person who's actually attacking your life. That's not natural. <laughs> that's not our flesh moving. That's the Holy Spirit moving. But that can become the way, we res- the, the way we respond. We don't even have to think about it. And again, it's just, just one example. But we have to be really honest with ourselves. And then I just wanted to add this into what we've been talking about. We need to learn how to acknowledge and embrace both God's correction when he does challenge us through his word and God's encouragement, you know, God's edification. When he begins to speak good things over you, when he begins to, and he will often in his word, he'll tell you who you really are, who we are in him, not who we grew up as, not, not, you know, the the broken part of us, but he'll start to reflect into us who he is making us to be, who he, uh, the part of him working in us. For some people, that's harder to receive. They're good at receiving correction because many times in that kind of case, it's, it's really tough. They get any encouragement directly from the word or from somebody else encouraging them or whatever it might be. They hear an encouraging message. They hear a message that's full of hope and full of life and talking about who we are in Christ. And they reject that, not for everybody, but for themselves. Usually, and this isn't critical, this is just the way it is, that's because somewhere we've got a, a root of shame at work in us that is telling us that we are not worthy, that we are unworthy, that we are unworthy of God's love, we're unworthy of his acceptance, we're unworthy of his blessing. Well, 
we want to let the Lord into that area to dig that root out so that we don't respond that way anymore. So we've got to, we want to learn how to accept God's encouragement, his strengthening, all of that kind of thing, as well as when he comes along and, and says, hey, uh, that's not the way we're going to act anymore. You know, when he, when he challenges us, when he uh, corrects us uh, in the way that we're thinking, the way that, that we're believing. So we've been talking about the fact that whatever thoughts we choose to nurture and partner ourselves with, Okay, those are the thoughts that are going to form our hope. We may have to, I'm thinking as I go through this, we may have to come right here and dig into this process that I'm about to explain because we're not going to go there this morning. But those thoughts are going to form our hope, which is the image in our hearts. Hope is generally, it's an image. And biblical hope is an image of good. It's an expectation of good coming from God based on who he is and what his word says. That's what biblical hope is. So those thoughts that we nurture are going to form our hope, whether that's for positive or negative. Hope becomes the blueprint of faith. The Bible tells us over in Hebrews that faith is the substance of things hoped for. So hope becomes the road that that faith works on. For, and honestly, for good or for bad, you all know that we can have faith in many things besides God. We all know this. We can have faith in a relationship to fix our life. We can have faith in money. We can have faith in government. We can have faith in all kinds of things. We can have more trust there than we do in God. Whatever, whatever we have faith in is going to set a course for our life. It's going to produce things in our life, and it's going to follow in in hope. So hope becomes the blueprint of faith. Faith, the Bible tells us, accesses the grace of God. It actually plugs in. The Bible tells us we stand in grace. This is one of those great Bible things. We're standing immersed in grace, but faith actually plugs into that grace, even though we're already standing in it. Jesus already purchased it for us. We're standing in the grace of God, but our faith is what plugs into that grace and puts a draw on the blessing, the life, the, the ability, all those kinds of things from, from God. So this, this process is really important. All that ends up shaping our life and our future. And this, this is what we've been discussing. So what you most believe, what you believe the most, is what you will speak the most, And what you speak with the most faith about, that's going to direct the course of your life. We're going to look at those verses again. The faith-filled words that we have are determining our future. It's what the Bible teaches us. All right? And we can say where we are today is not exclusively, but by and large, the result of the faith-filled words that we've been releasing all of our life. There's a whole bunch of who we are, what we've experienced, where we are, where we're going, all of that that's being determined by, as Jesus put it, what's in abundance in our heart will flow out of our mouths. 
Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. He said, the good man out of the good treasure stored up in his heart will fling forth good things. The evil man out of the evil treasure stored up in his heart. That word treasure has to do with trust and faith. That evil treasure, he'll fling forth evil things. The, we looked at all these verses last week. We're not going to study them. I just want to, again, just review them so we have this foundation for where we're going today. This is why all of this is so important, because those thoughts that we nurture are forming hope and faith. They're coming out of our mouth. They're really setting the course of our life. And here's just a, just a few verses. There are loads of verses that talk about this. James 3, 3 through 5 tells us that faith-filled words, he said, will act like bits in horses' mouths. Okay, so you've got a big animal being controlled by a very small thing. He says, he says the tongue is like that. The words of our mouth are like that. He says the words of our mouth, the tongue is like the rudder of a big ship. It's a tiny little part of the ship and it's controlling the direction. It's keeping the ship on course or it's changing course for it. Okay, that's how the Bible says that our words, our our tongue, I believe it's talking about faith-filled words. Okay, I think all of our words are important. Why? Because we're created in God's image and and that's how God is. But, but the, what, what really is released from, our, you know, from the place of, of our greatest faith, those things that are released uh, carry a lot of, of power in our life. So Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's just, that's a statement to think about a lot. What are we releasing? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. They who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or life. We talked about the fact that that word indulge just means what we're immersed in. It talks about, the, it's like an overflow out of, out of our mouth. The things that we are speaking, the things that we are, and, and again, where's all that coming from? Where are, where are the words that I'm indulging from uh, in coming from? They're coming from the thoughts and the imaginations that I'm nurturing in my heart. Jesus told us that. All right. We said last week, we looked at this, Proverbs is full of warnings about talking too much, talking too quickly, or indiscriminately. Just letting every thought and every feeling flow out of our mouth. It's a really bad way to live. We need to learn. Even when we're passionate about something, maybe you're angry, maybe you're hurt, maybe uh, maybe you're scared, you know, maybe you're, you're fearful about something. Those are, when we can tell what's in our heart many times by what comes out of our mouth in those kind of situations. Not what we say to each other in church, although I hope we're honest with each other in church. But you know what I'm saying. It's, it's when, when something goes on, what comes out under pressure, that's what's really going on in our heart many times many times. So the, the Proverbs is just full of instruction about learning how to guard our mouths. Proverbs 13.3, he who guards his mouth preserves his life. That's a pretty big deal. But he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. We don't want that. Most of us don't want that. Okay, so it's just a discipline the Bible tells us, here it says, guard your mouth. Proverbs 4, it tells us, guard your heart. Set a watch over your heart. 
Because whatever you allow in and to be thought on, meditated on, enter into every conversation you have, when you get that cycle going, if you allow that stuff, you don't guard your heart, well, it's going to be really hard to guard your mouth. You've got to start with the input before the output. Does that make sense to you? No? Do we need to stay on that? Okay, okay. Just checking. Okay. Um, Proverbs twelve fourteen from the fruit of his lips. Again, fruit is always an outward product of inward life. It's something that becomes visible or heard or, or seen. It's an outward product of inward life. From the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. That's something us Westerners do not believe. We think it's all about how we apply our skills. It's all about our work. And the Bible makes a big deal about how important that is. That is really important. But this verse says that we are seeing the result of what is coming out of our heart through our mouths equally to what we're doing with our hands, what we're engaged in physically. That's, again, that's something you got to kind of ponder verses like that to let them get on the inside of you. That's a big, big verse right there. And those kind of verses are real easy to read over and, and just go on. But when we realize Satan, when we think about the devil, we think about Satan. So many people put him on the same level as God, and he's not even remotely on the same level as God. He was an angel. He was a created being, and now he's a fallen angel. And he's a soon-to-be cast-out fallen angel. His future doesn't look good. Your future looks good. His future does not look good. But he does not have the authority to just move in the planet and do things. He can't create. He can mimic something that God has created, but he can't create. He doesn't have that ability. It was never created with that ability. So we've got to get it out of our religious mind, if it's there, that, oh, it's God and the devil, and they're in this tussle, and who knows who's going to win. Jesus already won. It's a done deal. We're here through what we do and through how very much how we use our hearts and our lives and our mouths, we're here enforcing a victory that's already won. But he's not removed from the earth yet, so he's still running around. The only way he can do things in the earth is through getting people to believe lies. It's always been that way. It's what he did with Adam and Eve. You know, it's, it's what he approached them. Did God really say that? And what he said was, no, that was not what God said. And Eve, Eve called him on it. But then they believed the lie and we ended up with the fall of man because they acted on the lie. And, and then we see him come to Jesus and over and over question, well, if you're really the son of God, do such and such. Even use the scripture on the word of God, on the manifested word of God, Jesus Christ, tried to use the scripture to trip him up. That's not, when you think about it, that's not all that bright a strategy. So, but... But that's, you know, it does work. If he can get us to embrace and partner with a lie, then he can exert influence through that in our lives and out from our lives. And when we begin to realize that, then it's, it's like, okay, so what I'm thinking and what I'm believing and what I'm building and nurturing in my heart, it becomes important to my life and to other people's lives. Because when apparently, because the word says it over and over, the words of our mouth, they're fruit. And we've said many times, fruit is something, comes out of a tree, right? 
mostly, out of a tree. And it contains food for somebody to eat. And it contains seed to produce another tree. So it's the, it contains the ability to reproduce the life of that tree. All fruit is like that on the earth. And it contains its own seed. You cannot sow uh, negative, um, you cannot sow fear and reap trust. You cannot sow corn and reap apples. You cannot, this is a principle in the earth that God established. So the words of our mouth, it says are fruit and they're carrying the seed of either death or life. That's a responsibility that we have to really be, and none of us are perfect in this by any means, but it's something we can recognize as a really important principle and, and submit it to the Lord and grow in to where more and more and more, he's controlling what we say. So, so you know, Satan said, you know, did God really say, if you're the son of God, for us, he'll come and say, you know, God, God really only loves you when you perform well. When you do everything right, then God's okay with you. The rest of the time, he's about to hit you with a stick. You know, well, that's a lie. But if he can get you to believe it, you'll not only live it out yourself, but you'll uh, pour it into other people. You're not a significant part of what God's doing in the earth. Yes, you are. Every one of you. God has set you somewhere to be a light into dark places. He has set you, we just heard a testimony of it, just... I wasn't being overt. I wasn't doing anything. I was just living as a Christian. Now people are telling me it changed the office. I've heard that kind of testimony so many times, and every one of you need to be confident that's true about you. If you're just living your life as a believer, we don't have to be in your face to people. People are drawn to light. They're drawn to life. They're drawn to joy. They're drawn to hope. They're drawn to the things that have become natural to you or becoming natural to you and we don't necessarily really think about it that much but we are the bible says in many places when we just read it over in deuteronomy chapter 28 that god will make us a holy people unto himself that doesn't mean perfect behavior it means separate different distinguished by and i mean distinguished as distinguished from um and, and it's because the presence of God is on our life, because the life of God is in us. I think we get kind of used to this, and we kind of forget that, well, no, I, I really do hold totally different convictions. I'm not mad at the world. I'm, I'm assigned to the world, you know, but, I, but my life is different. And, uh, and I don't always think about it, because I've been living it for a long time. Does that make sense to you? So there are all kinds of these things. You're unlovable. You can't hear the word of God. The Holy Spirit stuff isn't for you. Uh, you know, you're just an old sinner. You may make it, you may not, you know. Uh, you're just waiting for the rapture. You're just, boy, you know, the, the, you'd be afraid of the devil. You're just here to make it through until Jesus comes. You're just a victim waiting for the, for the Redeemer. You know, none of that stuff is true. And we pick those kinds of things and many more up. So the Bible calls these deeply ingrained thought patterns that we have, the term for that in the Bible is strongholds. They become strongholds in our life. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of the time we have this morning. I want to go through this. So if you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, verse 3, um, I know for many of you, these are very familiar verses, but we want to break these verses down and see, you know, what, what the Lord is, is telling us here. All right, so 
this is what I have up there is from the New King James. Uh, you may have a different translation there. There are probably some things you're going to want to write down or record somehow in this. So it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. All right? I'm trying to think of a way that doesn't sound critical to say this. I don't, I honestly don't mean this critically. Again, it's just an observation. There are a lot of believers that live like that whole verse just says, we do not war. We don't war. We've got no war. We aren't, there's nothing for us to fight. We're just whatever. If God wants it to happen, it'll happen. If God doesn't want it to happen, it won't happen. He's in charge of all of it. He micromanages every part of my life. The Bible doesn't teach that. And we could go through a whole thing on that. And it's, that's not our message today. But this says, we walk in the flesh, meaning we live here in these bodies. We live in this physical life. But you've got to remember, you're a spirit and a soul living in that body. We live in this tangible physical element, but we don't war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means the weapons we're going to fight and tear down strongholds with they're not born out of the flesh. They're not natural in their source. They are spiritual weapons that the Lord has given us because it is, this is a spiritual battle. Well, you just said Jesus won the, yeah, Jesus won the war. I think the best phrasing I've ever heard for this is we are like an occupying army. After a, after a battle is won, many times an army goes in to enforce the victory that was won. And during this church age, until Jesus comes back again, that's who the church is. And that doesn't mean we're dominating people and you know throwing people in prison. The war is not with flesh and blood. The scripture tells us that clearly it is not with flesh and blood, neither are your weapons with flesh and blood or from flesh and blood. Does that make sense to you? These, these, the battle that we're fighting is a spiritual battle, but what we're gonna see here is the battleground, and, and that's why we have the great book called Battleground of the Mind, is because the battleground on which we are doing most of what we call spiritual warfare, yes, we have some prayer-type warfare that, that is dealing with principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness. We, there are times where we are addressing spiritual forces. That's absolutely a part of our warfare. But I believe about 90% of our warfare is fought right here. It is fought against strongholds that have been established in our thought life, beliefs that we hold, things we have partnered with that are influencing us and who we are and what we do. So let's just go on here, all right? Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for, notice these phrases, pulling down strongholds. All right, we're going to see what that means. Casting down arguments. That's actually a little different phrase. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's something we need to learn how to actually do in ourselves and in our lives. This is, I, I, I think this is a tremendous amount of our life and our, our growth, the transformation, the renewing of the mind that we talk about 
happens right here. It's what is renewing of the mind. It's tearing down old ways of thinking. It's, it's remodeling. It is literally remodeling. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God are remodeling our soul. And when we remodel, you come in, you tear out old stuff, and you build up something new. That's what remodeling is. That's exactly what that phrasing in the Bible means. And that's what we're talking about here. And that's where a tremendous amount of what should be called spiritual warfare takes place. And, and we'll see why in just, just a second here. But boy, there's a lot of times, and I mean, this, is, this takes up a lot of my life, is bringing thoughts into captivity. That's a discipline. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. So the context for what Paul's talking about here is that he was going around, uh, you know, preaching the gospel, getting people saved, building leadership, building churches. He was an apostle. And then he'd move on, do that somewhere else, stay in relationship with the church that he left and the church that he had started up and the leadership there and all of that. And there was a group of people called Judaizers that came around behind him, came to his city after Paul had been there, and they would come in and basically, this is very simplistic, but <clears throat> they would say, well, you know, yeah, yeah, believe in Jesus, but in order to be saved, you still have to keep the whole law. In other words, you have to live like a Jew, and this is mostly Gentiles. You have to live like a Jew, so it's Jesus plus keep all the commandments. Jesus plus celebrate all the feasts. Jesus plus do other sacrifice. It was overlaying Judaism on top of it, and people were believing this. In some of his Gospels, he's addressing other types of philosophies that were rampant in the world, other types of idolatry, that type of thing. But either way, what he's dealing with here is people who have allowed a set of beliefs, a set of philosophies, a set of thoughts to become strongholds in their lives. And so he's talking to them about how to tear those strongholds down, whether they happen through the Judaizers, whether they happen through idol worship, however they happened, they were there. So that's, that's the context of what he's talking about here. And so what is a stronghold? Okay, in the Greek language that your New Testament is translated from, that word literally means a castle or a fortress from which a governing authority rules. Okay, so we think of, most of us, our minds go to medieval, you know, there's a castle, a king lives there, and he has an army, and, you know, some, there's, a, there's a governing authority, but they live in a fortress. They have a fortress around there, around them, and they rule from that place. This word is used in the New Testament to describe this. This is a long sentence, I'll read it to you a couple of times, but think about it with me. This word is used in the New Testament to describe a strong argument. Okay, it doesn't mean people fighting with each other. You know what I mean. It's presenting a case, presenting an argument. Okay, describes a strong argument, a theory, a thought pattern, or a belief. You might like the word conviction. Okay, in which one puts trust. Okay, so we start to partner with, we use that term a lot, we start to partner with a philosophy, a theory. And we start to adopt it into our life. A thought comes, an opinion comes, and we start to take hold of it, and we start to agree with it in our hearts. And in that way, we're not only partnering with the philosophy or the argument, we are partnering with whichever spirit is behind the philosophy, Whoever lives in the castle, okay? 
Whoever lives, whoever is behind this argument. So it's either truth, which Jesus said is the Father's word, or it's not. There's a whole bunch of gray area in there. There are gray areas in application. I get that. But truth is truth. Okay, truth is not arbitrary. It's not up for grabs. It's not up for our opinions. I know that's, you know, where our culture has gone, but it's not true. Truth is not relative. The idea that there is no objective truth, that, that all truth is relative, means there's no truth. If, if all truth is relative, and we can just decide if it's truth or not, you do get to decide whether to embrace it and whether to live by it, but you can't decide if it's truth. Truth is who God is and what God has said, and that's going to stand after all this other stuff is gone, long gone. That will not have changed. Okay, that's what truth is. So that doesn't, you know, that doesn't change. So let me go back here. So it's a, it's a strong argument, a theory, a thought pattern, a belief in which one puts trust. All right, so we begin to trust this thing and we begin to partner with it. And it's, it's one that is contrary to God's word. And therefore that argument or belief becomes a base of operations in our life for demonic entities. That's who's living there. Does that make sense to you? It's a, it's a truth. It's a, not a truth. It's a theory. It's an argument that is contrary to God's word. But we begin to put trust in it. That's what a stronghold is. That's what the word means in the New Testament. All right? So we're not talking about being demon-possessed here. We're not talking about that. We're talking about giving the devil a foothold in our thinking. Because as, as we begin to embrace things that are said, opinions that are held, and those kinds of things, as we begin to embrace them in our hearts, then that begins, as we just said, it'll start to flow out of our mouth. It starts to direct the course of our life. Okay? That's a stronghold. All right? So by partnering, well, let me, let me say this. So how does this get built in our life? I really believe this is the key to this. Whenever we start to create an identity within ourselves out of something in the natural, out of our current experience, okay? What we're, what we're experiencing, we start to attach ourselves to that. If we build an identity from our feelings, our current uh, experience, we create a stronghold in our lives from which the enemy can rule. What do I mean by that? I talked to you some about this last week. If we begin to think about, you know, uh, the, to me, one of the most, one of the things we deal with all the time is the issue of healing. It is the issue of uh, sickness, disease, healing. Uh, we know that the Bible tells us that by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. It says that he carried our sickness and disease to the cross. Okay, So even though all of us have experiences where sickness gets into our body because it's in the earth, that sickness is not who I am. That is not my cancer. It's, it may be cancer, but it, it's not my cancer and it's not welcome in my body. Down to whether I defeat it or whether I don't, it doesn't belong to me. Addiction. I mean, this is one of the, and I've said this to you before, I know some of you disagree. It's one of the problems I have personally with a lot of 12-step programs. Uh, they, they can help people. They are a good interim thing. I, I understand that. But I've been addicted. And 
for me personally, I now knowing what I know now, I will not stand up every week and say I'm still an addict. I'm not an addict. I am set free in Jesus Christ. I may be struggling with addiction still, but I am not, that's not who I am. I am who God says I am. Okay? If I sin in my life, that doesn't make me a sinner. That's not my that's not my identity. It, I am, why? Because the Bible says that because of what Jesus did, I am now a child of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. But I fell into sin. I'm struggling with a sin. Okay, don't claim it to yourself. It's not my arthritis. I've got some arthritis. It's not mine. And Karen and I pray about it all the time. It's, it's got to go. We'll pray about it our whole lives if we have to, but we're going to resist it. It is not who we are. Do you see what I'm saying? That's how we create strongholds. We look at an experience. We're having, <clears throat> the Bible says that Jesus, that God uh, wants us to, well, look at all the verses we just read in Deuteronomy. God wants us to prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers, okay? But we're struggling financially. Well, that's not who we are, it's what we're struggling with right now. It's not God's will for my life. God wants me to, he says really clearly, he wants me to have more than enough to give into every good work, you know, to be taken care of and have what I need, but to give into every good work. So, so no, even if I am experiencing poverty, it's not who I am. It's not who God has called me to be. It's just, you know, and, but those are the things, you know, and, and again, people say, well, Everybody in my family, we've all had a bad back. Okay, you're in a new family. You're in a, we're in a new family. This is not, and again, I, I'm not, I know for some of you it's like, man, you're splitting hairs. I'm not. Identity is where strongholds get built. When we just look at our experience and we say, that's who I am. Instead of, here's who I am, because this is what the Bible says, but I'm experiencing this. Can you pray for me? Does that make sense to you? There's a difference, it, and it makes a difference in our, in our own hearts as to what we will accept. Or, and, and from that place, sometimes we make up the craziest um, theologies to try and explain our experience when either, number one, we don't understand all our experiences. I don't understand all our experiences, and I'm sure I never will. So I'm not going to let go of what the Bible says because I don't understand why this happened. You know, I, I'm not letting go of what the promise is because I, I don't get this yet. And I don't know if I'll get it before I'm face-to-face with Jesus or not. But right now, I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand why that person didn't get healed. I've lost people. You've lost people to sickness that we prayed for. We've seen other people healed. I don't believe God's arbitrary. He's not a respecter of persons. He says that about himself. He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't just, there are other issues involved. One of them is faith. It's not the only one. There are all kinds of things involved. But the problem is when we start to create identities from experience instead of from the word of God, we can create good castles. We can create strongholds in these patterns of thinking where the Holy Spirit can live. And then the, the fruit of our lips becomes different. The fruit of our life becomes different. And that's what we want. That's what renewing of the mind is. It's tearing down the old and building up new ways of thinking. All right? So, are you with me still? The scripture here, man, I got to hurry. 
never enough time. Um, so in verse 4, it, it talks about, it says, okay, so we have these weapons that God has given us, which we may not get to until next week. Uh, and they're, they're powerful through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Okay, that, wor- that phrase, pulling down, comes from a, a Greek term that describes a brick-by-brick brick demolition of a fortress. It is a, it's taking it apart one piece at a time. These are, these are patterns of thinking. These are not just one thought that we have one day and you know, it comes and goes. These are patterns of thinking. You know, I've said this many times. Thoughts, it's so true. Thoughts are like trains. They are connected one to another, to another, to another. And every one of those trains has a destination. And whichever one you get on, that's where you're going to end up. You're not going to get on a train headed for the East Coast and end up on the West Coast. Those are thought patterns, those structures. And we're not always aware of them. That's why the word of God comes in to analyze them and sift them and judge them, expose them for what they are. It's part of the process of renewing the mind. We read about it over in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We see it in other places. Um, so, So this word pulling down, this idea describes taking apart the structure in which the enemy is working, in which he's living in our heads. Okay, and again, I'm not talking about being possessed here, but this is a, this is a process. This, this fortress isn't just wiped out with a nuclear weapon and it's all gone. It's a brick-by-brick process. That means a thought-by-thought process. It means we're spending time with the Lord and he's changing a little bit at a time. Why doesn't he just do it all at once? I think it's because he loves the relationship. That's just my opinion. I think he loves, you know, why didn't, why didn't our souls get totally changed when our spirit got totally changed when we made Jesus the Lord of our life? I don't know for sure, but I'm sure God loves this process of discipleship that he's working in us, this process of renewing the mind. So that also means when, when, he, when he reveals to us a thought pattern that isn't what he wants, he's not condemning you. He's not criticizing me. He's, not, he's trying to help us. He's trying to tear that down. And we need to give ourselves to, that, to this kind of process. We really need to be intentional about it. So in practical terms, strongholds in our thinking are pulled down a thought as a time as we respond and agree with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. It's called renewing the mind. So let me just tell you a couple of things. And these are not, these are not big spiritual things. But I was thinking about this in my own life. When I was a kid, I've got three brothers. And uh, the, the one above me, Jim, uh, we were the closest of the brothers. We had a sister in between at that time. But um, but we were the closest of the brothers, so I knew him more. Bob was, uh, you know, older, and by the time I was cognizant, he was out doing things, you know. So I remember him as a kid, but Jim and I had more of a relationship at that time. Well, he used to tell me all the time how uncoordinated I was. And it was just, you know, he was a kid. And so, you know, we'd be doing something and I'd fall down, or I don't know, I don't even remember any incidents, but he'd tell me how uncoordinated I was. Well, I grew up believing that for a long time. And having wrenched with me this week, Bob might tell you different. But I mean, it turned out I wasn't nearly as uncoordinated. In other words, you can't catch a ball or you can't whatever. I never really was into those types of sports, but I could do it. 
I wasn't good at it. I can't sink a basketball. I can't sink a piece of paper in a wastebasket for anything. But, you know, it, it was not, I grew up with that going on on the inside of me until much later when I was doing different things and I thought, I'm not uncoordinated. But I had that thought in my heart that directed my attitude, you know, toward myself and things. When I was in fourth grade, here's another one. We were coming along and we'd been, of course, doing math for a few years. Well, in the middle of the year, they had us hand in our math books and they went to new math, whatever that was. They, they said, forget everything you, lo- you learned the last few years. Here's how we're going to do it now. Well, that was a bit confusing for pretty much everybody in the room, but I got it in my head, I'm not good at math. And so for years, I thought, I'm not good at math. So whenever anything happened, or, you know, I was in a class, I just approached it with this internal going on, I'm not good at math. This is going to be hard for me. Well, it turned out later, I was fine at math. I was fine at algebra. I was fine. And later, I had teachers tell me, in fact, the one when I was a, what was I, a junior, I guess, probably in high school, in algebra one or two or something. Anyway, she was really ticked at me because I'd skip, it was the last hour of the day. I didn't like math, but anyway, I'd skip that class a lot. And she got on me one day and she said, you know, you pick this stuff up so easily. And some of these kids are really struggling, but you don't show up for class. And it was really bothering her because she said, this is easy for you. And that's, you know, hearing that word, I realized, yeah, if I just apply myself, this really isn't hard and it doesn't take me very long, you know? And it woke me up. It changed a pattern of thinking and believing about myself. We have the same thing spiritually. Some of you grew up in families where you were made to feel like you were not worthy, like you were not loved, like you were not, I don't know, a better word than worthy, you know, of anything good happening in your life. And then you come into Christianity and you've got this father that's just desperately in love with you and and looks at you, all of us, not as who we've been, but in who he sees that we can be. And he starts to approach us with that, well, there's some strongholds in a lot of our lives. Some of us grew up in families that were always afraid, you know, we just learned to, to be afraid of everything that happened. And so now there's a, there's a stronghold there. Again, it's not a criticism. It's not a condemnation. It's just a fact. Things have been, and so we approach things. These are thought patterns. These are, these are things that color. Shame is a huge one. You know, people that grew up in, in that sense of unworthiness, so often there's, there's a root of shame on the inside. And it even says that Jesus took our shame to the cross. The shame of sin was carried for us. One of the things he did for us at the cross to deliver us from it. But there can be this root in us that we always feel. Somebody compliments us, we can't receive it. You know, somebody gives us a gift, we have a really hard time taking it. You know, why? Because there's this root that says you're not worthy. You're not welcome. You're not accepted. Those are strongholds. Those are the kinds of thought patterns that the Lord now wants to tear down. And he says, we have weapons. We have a part in this fight. We, have, we, we pick up the tools that God has given us and we actually apply ourselves to this process. Man, I've got two, two minutes left. So I could give you a, a bunch of those. But so let me just give you this. We're going to have to break off. We'll come back to it next week.
to pull down a stronghold, we need to intentionally and with the Holy Spirit, okay, separate the natural circumstance or experience. That's called a fact, okay? It's real. It's, it's here. It's real, okay? Sickness is real. We need to separate those from eternal realities, first in our heart and then in our words. We do it in our heart. It'll come out through our words. But we need to separate those things. Again, I, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. But you know what? Right now I'm experiencing sickness. And I need you to pray for me. But it's not who I am. I'm not taking it as mine. You know, I'm, I'm a victorious person in Christ. But man, I'm really up against a challenge right now. You know, and again, you may think this is splitting hairs, but it'll change your life. I'm a protected person. Why? Because Psalm 91 says I am. I'm experiencing a dangerous situation. Okay, this is just a different way of thinking about this. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I committed a sin. Doesn't make me a sinner. There again, there are religious philosophies that'll tell you, oh, you're just an old sinner saved by grace. No, I was an old sinner. I was saved by grace. That's no longer who I am. I still sin. But that's not who I am. It's not my identity. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm free of every bondage, but I'm struggling against addiction. But I'm going to get free. Whereas if I start saying, no, I'm an addict, I'm an addict, I'm an addict, I'm an addict, I'm going to stay an addict. That's going to be the fruit of my lips, and it's going to determine my future. Okay, I'll wrap it up with this. I gave you this example last week. Um, You know, because people look at this and they say, well, you're just lying. You know, you're sick. It's like, okay, but I, I am, no, uh, what I'm doing is I'm separating what is a natural fact from a superior truth that's, gonna, that's eternal. It's going to last forever. And we said, you know, last week I gave you that example about the apple tree. See, I see peach tree didn't come back this week because I said peach trees don't grow here. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. These <laughs> do exist. Anyway, so we'll use the peach tree this week. Uh, you know, I talked about, well, you can have a peach tree, but it hasn't matured enough to produce peaches yet. It's still a peach tree, but it hasn't grown enough to have the life in it to produce that. Well, that's the way it is with a lot of these things. I'm not walking in as much healing as I want to. I'm not walking in as much freedom in some areas as I want to. I still have thoughts that I recognize this is not God, you know, like all of us do. Well, there's a process of maturity to where that fruit can change in my life. But I can still say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm loved of God. I belong to God. That is my family. This is my family. You know, I I can say all those things and they're true because that's the superior truth. And that's what we're talking about here. And again, I'll say this again. I'm not talking, and I do not want us to go down a road where we can't tell one another when we need prayer for whatever, for healing, for addiction, for whatever, because, oh, no, I'm just blessed. I'm the blessed of God. I'm No, tell me the truth. Yes, you are. Okay, what's going on in your life? All right. We went through that many decades ago. There were, there were folks that, boy, you, you couldn't say anything. You couldn't tell the truth. If you were struggling with something, you know, we always did, and, and our whole church did. But, you know, there were people that were word police. You know, that's a bad cl- de- confession, bad declaration, bad, you know. Well, okay, if you're saying that as my friend and wanting to change what's going on in my heart, I'm with you. 
if you, you know, are just freaked out because somebody told the truth about where they are in their life, that's, a, that's your problem, <laughs> okay? Uh, but you see what I'm saying? So we're not talking about becoming word police in each other's lives. We're just talking about recognizing that what I nurture in my heart, the truth that I nurture in my heart, okay, that matters because it is going to form my hope, form my faith, come out of my mouth, direct the course of my life, like a rudder on a ship. Does this make sense to you? All right, let's, uh, let's just stand up and pray together. We'll be done for today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, I, I just depend on you as always. Holy Spirit, you're our teacher. You're, you are our counselor. You're our guide. You're the one who brings the word alive in our hearts. And Father, all this has been thrown out this morning. I, I trust you to, to bring the specific hearts, the specific truths, the specific words that you're wanting for each of us as individuals to get. I trust you absolutely, Lord, to bring life to those truths, to continue to speak them to us over and over and over. And where there are strongholds in some of our lives and thinking, in all of our lives and thinking, we invite you to come in and brick by brick, tear down that stronghold. Lord, we we thank you for doing that. We thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and it never ends. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'll just throw this at you. We're not going there. But the next thing about casting down arguments, a little different phrase than pulling down strongholds. It's not a brick-by-brick phrase, but I'm not going to tell you what it is, so you can come back next week in here, okay? All right, let's say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world and will be dismissed. You guys go out there and be the church, okay? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.